0: We are in the middle of a summer series through Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25. So I'd encourage you now find a Bible or pull out your phone, turn to Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25. Today for the scripture reading, I will read all seven verses, but for my text, I will focus on the first half of verse 25. So again, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Won't you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, Scripture says that your word is a lamp unto our feet, And a light unto our path. It says that you lead the humble in what is right and teach the humble your way. God, humble us now to receive your word and to walk by its light. I ask that you empower me by your spirit as I preach, and I ask you grant us clarity to rightly understand and conviction to rightly. Receive this word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a privilege to be here this morning with all of you. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Baxter Helm. And as of May 2nd, I assume the role of high school pastor here at College Church. And I'd like to take a moment just to publicly thank all of you. There have been many ways that you all, this family, have welcomed my wife, Kelsey, and I into life together here. Uh, You've provided us food, meals, and encouragement. And because of that, I must say, I am indebted to you all already for transforming me. You have transformed me to the next waist size. Quite a transformation, unexpected, a surprise for me and my wife. (laughs) But in all seriousness, it's a joy to be here together with you. Better together. Better together. There's an African proverb that says if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, Go together. The proverb makes a simple claim, but one it seems many would agree with, right? The benefits of together, of community, of fellowship, are in some sense quite universally understood. We are better together. Some recent health studies back this up, it was shown that social isolation was connected with a 29% increased risk of heart disease. 29%. And also a 32% increased risk of stroke. The data shows that even our physical body seems to be better, healthier when we are together. It's not just a proverb, though. It's not just health data. Maybe it's your own personal experience. This past year and a half has been challenging for all of us in many ways, whether you're an introvert or whether you're an extrovert. I think we all have experienced some of these symptoms of separation. Our anguish, our depression, even our Boredom seems to confirm the claim that we are better together. And so, better together is not controversial. We seem to be designed for fellowship, but let me ask you this what fellowship then should be prioritized? What fellowship should be prioritized? There's quite a lot of options out there for us, and maybe you're visiting with the question this morning, why the church? Why give myself to a community of these people here? Why Christianity? And those are important questions that demand an answer in order to know how to prioritize the kind of fellowship that we should Partake in. And so if I could put my sermon this morning into a four-word sentence, this would be it. Here it is. Don't forsake this fellowship. Don't forsake this fellowship. That is my argument. Why? Well, that's what I believe the text is doing this morning. That's what I believe the text is getting at and i want us to reflect on this phrase it's there at the beginning of verse 25 not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some and it presents itself to us in two parts first there's a responsibility and second we see a tendency okay a responsibility towards fellowship and a tendency away from fellowship, both of which I'm convinced confirm the author's simple aim for the reader, don't forsake this fellowship. However, in order to not forsake this fellowship, we need to understand what this fellowship is in the context that it's presented. Let's look at the first half of the text, what we've called a responsibility. I'll read it again not neglecting to meet together. By way of context, it's clear that we have a passage that starts in the middle of a sentence. For those of you who, unlike myself, maybe are naturally gifted in the area of grammar, you would be right in identifying this as a participial phrase. That's a fancy way of saying that verse 25 is further describing verse 24 I want you to hear this I'm going to read it for us again so look at verse 24 and let us consider how to stir up one another to loving good works and here's the first participial phrase it's it's negative not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some and now the second turns positive but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near And so it would make sense that any conclusions regarding this fellowship today must be seen in light of further describing the exhortation we reflected on in verse 24. The exhortation Pastor Eric Channing so wonderfully preached last week. But in addition to this context from preceding part of the sentence, the broader context we've been reflecting on as a community here at College Church is verses 19 through 25 this summer. And it shows us that verse 24 is the third exhortation in response to two truths about the work and the position of Jesus. In response to Jesus, the author calls for the reader to draw near, hold fast, And consider. Now, why does this matter? Well, it informs us that this fellowship, this meeting together, is built on the foundation of two things the blood of Jesus, providing access to God, and his priestly ministry on behalf of the readers. In other words, this fellowship the author is talking about is not about something that the people have done or who they are. At its core, it's about what Christ has done and who he is on their behalf. That's how this context informs this fellowship we're talking about. So then when we come to our text at the beginning of verse 25 it's clear that it says to not neglect to meet together. Now what does is, what is this meeting together refer to? It's important for us to try to understand. The original wording here would sound something like the assembling of ourselves together. And I believe the scope is purposefully broad. The author does not seem to Elaborate to specify just one gathering. The important description of this gathering, as we saw, is the, is the purpose of verse 24, of stirring up one another to love and good works. So which gathering does this refer to then? Is it Sunday morning church? Is it midweek gatherings of the church? Is it a prayer gathering of the church or an evening service? My answer would be yes. It would certainly include what we would think of as our primary worship gathering, but it would not be limited to just that. And I think if we've heard this verse before, it's been used in a way to tell someone to go to church, to encourage church attendance. And that's good and fine, and I am fully supportive of that. But that's not all that's happening here with this verse. Because its function here is to participate in fellowship for a purpose, not just attendance. And so we must not minimize this verse and understand it just in terms of showing up to church. Let me try to explain this. I really enjoyed the, the stirring up language that verse 24 gives us, it's almost like a cooking metaphor. And I'm no expert in cooking, my wife can tell you that, but I do give it a go. And generally I know that you can't cook unless you're in the kitchen. Right? It's pretty simple. You cannot cook unless you're in the kitchen. And likewise, you can't stir up unless you're in fellowship. Unless you're gathered together. But hold on, just because you're in the kitchen doesn't necessarily mean that you're the one cooking. And I think that's an important distinction for us today. Attending church doesn't mean we are participating in the fellowship that is being talked about in verses 24 and 25. This fellowship, this gathering, has a momentum to it, it has an inertia that pushes us towards a purpose, and that purpose is love. And good works. That's what it is. So the author is calling the people to not neglect this type of fellowship. This neglecting means willfully forsaking or deserting. It gives almost this image of one turning their back on another. And it's a strong way of implying that there is some sense of duty or responsibility that Christians have towards one another. Now, maybe you've thought or you've heard it said, I'm I'm already a Christian. I'm saved. Why come to church? I'm I'm done with the church. I can do this journey personally. I can do this on my own. No. No. No, this text says otherwise. I'm not saying that fellowship or Christian community isn't challenging sometimes. We all know that's the case. But the Bible teaches that we do have a responsibility towards one another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We have many parts, but we are one body with Christ at the head. Together, we are one body, the body of Christ, not individually. And so it is together in Christian fellowship that we witness to the gospel in a way that we can't when we're alone. Maybe you've seen those marching bands at halftime, typically at college football games. I particularly enjoy this part of the game. You watch all the individuals run out onto the field. They have coordinated movements. And one time when I was watching and each band member coordinated in their position, they created an image of Bugs Bunny from Cartoon Network. Not just, I would have been impressed with any bunny, but it was identifiable as Bugs Bunny from Cartoon Network. Each person in position doing their part to show one picture. I want you to imagine taking away all the members of the band except for one person, let's say the tuba player, and you tell him to go act out his part, get in position, what would you see? I'll tell you right now, you're not going to see Bugs Bunny. You're going to see a man running around on a field. Our God-given responsibility of fellowship towards one another, seen in meeting together, displays the gospel in a remarkable, in a detailed way that we can't do when we're alone. And so are you prioritizing your part? College church. I'm not saying to do more or just keep adding programs to your week. We all know if you were to try to play too many instruments at once and run around on the field, you wouldn't be able to play any of them very well. But do you prioritize your individual responsibility as a part of the whole? That's going to look different for different people. But when we are all prioritizing our responsibility towards one another, it will display a detailed and a beautiful picture. And so don't forsake this fellowship. Why? Because first of all, it is a responsibility. However, just like a child can drag their feet during chores times on Saturday morning, so often our responsibilities can be at war With our tendencies, can't they? And so I want to move to the second part of the text where we see not a responsibility now, but a tendency. And this is the phrase it reads, As is the habit of some. Now we need to be clear here about what we know and what we don't know about this situation concerning these people then. What do we know? Well, if you read Hebrews up to this point, you'll continue to hear exhortations to guard against spiritual apathy. We know that there was most likely a temptation to return to the practices of Judaism, to go back, to turn away from serving Christ. And we also know that these people have endured significant suffering and persecution. Just look at uh, chapter 10, verses 32 So although we know quite a lot about them, we are not given the specifics as to the motivation for some to neglect or forsake fellowship and gathering with one another. It could have been for fear of continued persecution, laziness. It, It could have been any number of reasons, but we don't necessarily know What we do know, and what I believe is more important to take away, is the seriousness with which the author takes the neglect. He addresses it head on. And in verse 26, we see a series of warnings for those who neglect the exhortations that come before it. So why is the author saying to not forsake this fellowship? Well, it's because there was some continued, some repeatable behavior that was observed that illustrated a habit or a custom or a tendency to do so. The reasons may be different for us today, but I believe the tendency or the temptation is not. It's still there. For us, it may be convenience or lack of time or energy. We aren't tempted to go back to Judaism, but forward to new fellowship, looking for fellowship on our terms, not on Scripture's terms. But being part of Christian fellowship is not like a business. It's not looking to minimize the cost or the inputs in order to receive Christian fellowship. No, Christian fellowship is a family. And for family, the question is not how little can I give, but what else can I do? What else can I do to stir up my brother or my sister? Family is not a job, it's a privilege. And that's why if you're visiting online, I think that's great. I think it's wonderful. We stream our services, especially for our brothers and sisters who are unable to be here for health reasons or they're currently homebound. But this text should encourage us to commit to a church family, to give your time, to give your presence, to serve and love others in the fellowship of Christ. It makes me think of some of these families that we have at Tuesdays Together, which if you haven't been to Tuesdays Together yet, I would really encourage you to get there. We're across the street in the Commons parking lot, 5 p.m. every Tuesday. Good conversation, games, good music, good food. But at the end of the night, we have some of these families that stick around. And without being asked, every week... They are consistently collapsing tables, rolling them in, folding up chairs, carrying them in. They're cleaning up all the mess that we've left behind. And they come up to me and they ask, how else can I help? It costs them their time. It'd be easier to go home, to go to bed. But they serve in the simplest of ways. They choose to serve their family. And I have to tell you, it has encouraged me. I'm new here, and it has been such an encouragement to, the, to me, these families. I love it. But that's not always our tendency. This tension between responsibility and tendency is nothing new. God's design for this fellowship and our tendency towards self-interest has been seen since the beginning. Just think about Genesis. When Adam was created, God said, it is not good that man should live alone, should be alone. And so man was, from the beginning, made to be with another. But we know our sinful tendency is to consider ourselves first, to abdicate our responsibility from one another. And this sinful pattern is a tendency that we've also seen from the beginning. Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. And upon being confronted by God, he responds, Am I my brother's keeper? Our tendency in this sinful, broken world is to abdicate responsibility. It is to forsake fellowship with one another. And that's why the reminder here that this text gives us is so needed. Don't forsake this fellowship. But maybe you've stuck with me this far, but you still realize, Baxter, you haven't answered why I should prioritize Christian fellowship gathering, community? Why is it that I can't forsake this fellowship? And the answer is you can. You certainly can. But you need to know that there was a man who was forsaken for you, who saw your separation from God, And came down from heaven to do something about it. There was a man who was mocked, who was beaten, who was scorned, who was spit on. And he was nailed to the cross. And this man cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, his death paid the penalty you and I deserve so that we might no longer be separated in our fellowship with God. The Bible says, and God says in his word, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that promise for us as Christians is yes and amen in the work of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of the gospel is that we are called into a community with others who live in the abundance of God's affection. And now, by his spirit, our tendencies are empowered to carry out our responsibilities, to love, to serve one another. His love empowers our love. His work empowers our good works. His commitment to us empowers our commitment to one another. He will not forsake you if you put your trust in him. the hymn writer, put it well. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. And although this started with a man and a woman in a garden, we know that one day it will end with every tribe, tongue, and nation living in peace with one another and in peace with God. This fellowship... This assembly will last forever. It will never end. It is eternal. And so, brothers and sisters, be encouraged today. We are better together. Why? Because we are together in Christ. The God of all creation has promised he will never leave you nor forsake you. And so because of that, because of the good news of the gospel, may you live empowered towards one another. May we heed the word from this text. Don't forsake this fellowship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fellowship we have in Christ with you and with one another. Help us, Lord, to not just be hearers of your word this morning, but doers of it. Empower us towards one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.